I've only been living in Russia for a few weeks, but I found myself in hot water. This morning, I've been walking out of my apartment with a backpack full of the white stuff. I don't know how I got into this situation. It feels like it just escalated and it feels totally out of control. But I find myself walking down the stairs, looking over my shoulder to make sure nobody's watching me, to make sure nobody's following me. I know what I have to do. I know where I need to get this stuff, this white stuff, filling up my backpack to overflowing. I walk out the door of my apartment and the old ladies sitting across the way on the bench look at me with suspicious eyes. They know. They know exactly what I'm doing. It's been done before and it will be done again. I turn my eyes away from them and start walking down the sidewalk. This backpack feels like a burden on my back that I just can't shake. Finally, I get to my destination. I open up my backpack and I do what I have to do. I dump our rice porridge in the dumpster. Fifteen years ago, we spent a year together in Russia, and it's stuck with us ever since. Russia became a permanent part of who we are. Through the good and the bad, we found the motherland to be a place like no other. Consider this podcast our love letter to Russia. I'm David. And I'm Grant. And this is To Russia With Love. So Grant and I are talking about those first few months in Russia when we lived there, some of the experiences and the struggles that we had. And uh, one of the things that kept coming up in those first first few months that we spent there was food and how we interacted with food and some of the hard times that we had adjusting to food in Russia. So we're going to be talking about food in Russia today. And at the end of the, re- the episode, we're going to have a recipe for a delicious Russian cabbage salad. And we're going to give it to you right here on the air at the end of the episode. I just told my story of uh, dumping our kasha, smuggling it out of our apartment in the mornings. Um, that was such a <laughs> surreal moment. Uh, kasha, for, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a Russian rice porridge. Um, we uh, we ate it for breakfast when we first visited our two first our first two weeks there. We had it for breakfast and it was so good. It was uh, it was made with rice, kind of like an oatmeal, but with rice. Um, and uh, they would put a big square of butter on the top, and it would just melt down over the kasha. And it was so oh, rich man. and creamy. Do you remember that, Dave? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to there's some parts of the States and England, they make rice pudding. Um, yeah. In the Spanish-speaking world, there's arroz con leche with the cinnamon, which is similar. Yeah. But yeah, just that pat of butter on top of the kasha, and it melts in, and it's just buttery and sweet and delicious. And we had it at, uh, didn't we have it at Tonya's house when we went in the banya, in the her bathhouse? Yeah, after we I went she made it after time. we went in the banya, we spent the night there and uh, for breakfast she made it for us and that was another part of what sealed the deal for us wanting to come out. It was so delicious and uh, just made a great impression on us that when we came back to live in Russia, um, we asked our um, our house mom, Mama, uh, Nadia. Mama Nadia, who owned the apartment we lived in, she she uh, offered to cook us food and, and clean up after us. We paid her a little bit for those services in addition to rent. We asked her to make us kasha for breakfast. We told her how much we loved kasha, and uh, she, she took care of us. 
Yeah. She, we, we started calling her Mama Nadia right from the beginning. Yeah. She was like our landlord, and she was uh, Pastor Misha's mother-in-law. So she was connected to the, the Baptist church we were working with. And she really took us under her wing in her own, like, in her own way. You know, she was kind of a nervous woman. She would like, she was really worried that we were not going to have a good time, that we were not going to enjoy the food. And she really wanted to please us. And I remember when we first moved in, you remember uh, Pasha, the translator, the interpreter that uh, worked with us? Mm-hmm. He came when we, when we moved into our apartment, he was with us. And, and of, at that time, my Russian was still kind of limited. And so I, but I heard Mama Nadia telling him like, no, 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 что им нравится? Я не знаю, что им нравится. I don't know what kind of food they like. <laughs> like, what, what am I going to cook for them? And she was freaking out. And Pasha, he just told her, Mama Nadia, не переживайте. And then he taught me that word. And he said, David, this is important word for you with Mama Nadia. Не переживайте. Do not worry. Do not worry. You will say this many times with Mama Nadia. Не переживайте. One of the things I think that she was really worried about was us starving. Uh, that first, the first few days, she she made us a nice big pot of it, and we loved it. We ate it up. Um, we finished it every last bit. We cleared cleaned our plates, and uh, so the next the next day, uh, she made more. She noticed that we finished our plates. We finished all of it, and she, in her own way, decided that that meant that we were still hungry after eating that. And maybe the first time, or even the second time, maybe we were, and we we had enough room to, to pack in some more kasha, which still at that point was still delicious. But eventually, this horrible cycle happened where we would eat all of our food. She would notice that, and so the next time she would make more of it, we would eat that, because that's what polite boys do, and she would notice it and then make more the next time. So eventually, we had kilos and piles worth of kasha for breakfast and there was no way we were going to finish it it was it was this vicious cycle <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it was it was the perfect kind of cultural misunderstanding where we're thinking we've got to clean our plates she's thinking we're still hungry and so just the more we eat it just keeps reproducing it's like, did you ever read that children's book about this Italian village and there's a magic spaghetti pot and it just keeps on making spaghetti and it, it overflows and it takes over the town? No, I don't, I, I don't think I've heard that one. Yeah, it was uh, Tommy DePaolo. It was uh, Strega Nona was the name of the book. And it's, yeah, it's this like, this witch makes a magic spaghetti pot and it just, people keep eating and they can't, they can't keep ahead of it. And so the whole town is just like taken over by spaghetti. And that's what it felt like. Well, I know for, for me, after... After a few days of this, I was done. I would eat to where I was satisfied, um, but we still had, you know, bowls worth of this there in our home in the morning. And um, you, you're the type of guy, Dave. I, since I've always known you, you're the type of guy who will clear the plate, and you'll clear other people's plates if they haven't finished. So the, the <laughs> I'll, burden... I'll clear other other customers in the restaurant, even if I don't know them. I'll clear their <laughs> plates sometimes. The burden of finishing this kasha to not uh, offend her uh, fell on you for a few days, and you were eating astronomical amounts of this porridge. Yeah, I remember you and you and Murph sitting at the table. You just looked sick. Your you looked green, <laughs> and you had, had half your plates of kasha, and you both were like, "I can't." I can't hang, man. I can't do it anymore. And so I would I'd spoon yours into my plate. I'd finish it off. She was so afraid of offending us by not giving us enough, but we were so afraid of offending her by not eating her food. Um, eventually, right. we, we kind of dug ourselves into this pit of 
kasha that we couldn't get out of. And what we needed to do, we should have told mom and Nadia that, that we didn't need that much at least. Um, or that we, you know, maybe on, uh, maybe on weekends, maybe we can have fried eggs or something like that. But, um, but we were too scared to offend her. So what we did was we found, uh, some of our Ziploc bags that we had brought some of our belongings over in. And we started filling those up with all the leftover Kasha in the morning. And then we would hide those in our backpacks and sneak those out past her and go down to our dumpster and throw away these like liter bag full of <laughs> Kasha. Uh, it was, it was a nightmare as they say in Russia, Kashmar Ribyata night. That's a nightmare oh, guys. Kashmar Ribyata. Kashmar. <laughs> yeah, it was it was ridiculous because it was so unnecessary too. Yeah, like if we had just done a little more communicating, and I'll take the blame for a lot of that because you remember with a lot of stuff, I had decided to to really make an effort to to tell you guys, okay, we got to be culturally sensitive all the time. You guys, yeah. we can't be complaining. You know, we've got to just suck it up and deal with it. But <laughs> I would do that to the extreme in ways that I didn't have to, like yeah. like with the the water filter thing. Yeah. When I was like, no way, we're not going to drink filtered water like some rich a-hole. We're going to drink corpse <laughs> water because that's what everyone else does. We're drinking the dead body water. Yeah. And with this, too, it was like, like I, I could have just said, Mama Nadia, do you mind if we save some of this for later? Or we probably could have even just left some of it on our plates oh. and she would have said, oh, that's enough for them. Yeah. I'll reheat this tomorrow. Or eat it myself or whatever. Culturally, our communication did not match with her communication, and it was it was a mess. Uh, I think about uh, some of the other times in other places in the world where I've visited, and uh, as you go and as you prepare for those types of travels, especially if you're going, you know, maybe with a religious group or if you're going with an educational group, one of the things that people tell you is. If somebody offers you food, um, even if you don't like it, you should eat it and be grateful for that. And to not eat that can can be offensive to some cultures. So we were living in that, and she was living in a culture thinking that we were just starving all the time and she wasn't feeding us enough. So finally, finally, we had to sit her down and, and say thank you for for all you've done for us and cooking for us. But from now on, we'll we'd like to take care of some of our own food. <laughs> yeah. It was tough though. Cause like you and Murph barely knew any Russian. My Russian was still really rusty, yeah. really limited. And when the, what sucks when a language is new to you is that when it's a new language, you don't have all those little nuances to throw into your speech, to make it, to soften the blow, to speak respectfully. Like you, you talk like a five-year-old or a, a caveman yeah. And so you're trying to say, Mama Nadia, if you would be so kind as to allow us to take this burden off your shoulders, but like it comes out like, you work too much. <laughs> me make food. Me eat. Yeah. You know, make eat for me. Me make, me make eat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thinking of those nuances, the food, food became something that was uh, a nuanced thing for us and became really important for us. Uh, I'm guessing in the same way that I have these feelings, there were things that you were missing, things that we just couldn't get in Russia. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with some Russian food, Dave. Yeah, I mean, food's a big, it's a big thing. Like like having food that, comfort food, food that you're familiar with, 
Like it's, it's connected to your emotions, your heart, your soul. And when you don't have that, it, it really hurts when, when you're eating stuff that is strange and foreign to you all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it'll make you feel much more out of place. Yeah. I think if each of us could have had like our, our mom's home cooking or our dad's home cooking every night, it would have been a million times easier. But you just add on to that not having that familiar food and it just makes everything else so much harder. I agree with you. Food is literally in your face enough that it forces you to 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 the reality that you're not in a place that you're you're not in a normal place. You're you're somewhere different. Yeah, you're, uh life is different. You're not home. You're not home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's it's really you know, we're going to be talking a lot more about these these difficulties we had with food. But now it's hard to even believe that there was a time when we felt like that. Yeah. It's hard to imagine there was a time when I when I felt like I hated Russian food because now we love it, of course. We definitely developed a taste for Russian food after a while that we were there. But it didn't start off that way, did it? No, it started off. It was rough. It was like for that first couple of months, I, I really thought that I hated Russian food. For the first couple of months, I was thinking, like, man, how am I going to survive here a year, a year and a half? And part of that was the stuff that we that we got exposed to also, like some of just by happenstance, uh, a lot of the people that we would be around, they would feed us things that were the most foreign to us, the most unusual to us. Like the story that sticks out in my mind is that first day that we went out with Vitaly to visit all those church people all around different towns and villages. Yeah. And then we did that a few times with Vitaly. And that was, and each time we'd go to somebody's house, they would... They'd put, you know, being hospitable, they'd put out tea and bring us uh, snacks to have with the tea. And all the snacks were just like the weirdest things to us. We'd never seen anything like that. Like the, the Butsir Brod. Do you remember the, the Butsir Brod? Yeah, I remember them putting out these um, slices of bread just like with half an inch of mayonnaise on top of it. Oh, so much mayonnaise. Floating on top of that mayonnaise was a sardine with its head chopped off and goo coming out of its neck. And um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I've I, never had much of a stomach for fish in general. Um, so getting these was uh, definitely pushing my limits at that time. That was kind of their version of a sandwich, buttered bread. Some of them were delicious, you know, some with some fresh uh, vegetables on it with a cucumber and a tomato and maybe maybe just a little bit of mayonnaise or no mayonnaise at all. Like that was great, but uh, it was always hit or miss wherever we went to, whether we were going to get that or if we were going to get sardines. <laughs> yeah. Late, later on, we discovered how delicious Brody could be with like a slice of, of kalbasi of the, the sausage yeah. on it. All these, all kinds of different cool combinations. But that first day that we were with Vitali, he was a guy from the Baptist church who kind of babysat us for the first month took us around with him to go visit Baptist families and pray for old people. And and so we're just like following him around, going from one town to the next and getting further and further away from the city too, like going out into these far off villages. Yeah. And so conditions are getting more and more sparse. And like, I feel like that whole first day, it was like all sardines all the time. And houses that smelled like cat piss. Do you remember that? Oh, Do you remember that house, house, that apartment we walked into, and there was like eighty cats, just all over the place, and you know there was some some older ladies, and we were there to pray for them, and I understand why because they were 
they were kind of stuck in bed and stuff. But uh, if there was a description of cat lady, like these ladies had it and it was just hard to stomach being in their home and then being served food in their home. You know, you, you don't know how long this salami has been sitting out on the counter and how many cats have taken nibbles from it at all. But um, <laughs> but those were those were some of the places that we were going that first week, right? Oh, yeah. You're like you're eating the butzerbrod or whatever, the cookies, and then like the, the smell, the sense of smell is mixing in with your taste. So it's like you feel like you're eating cat piss because it's all up in your nose. And there, there were no, not a litter box in sight, just the cats doing their thing everywhere. And we couldn't say anything either. Like you and Murph couldn't really speak. You could say, I think, hello and, and a few other things. And my, my Russian was still my, my caveman Russian. And so like we couldn't, we had nothing to offer to the conversation really. We would just go around, like Vitaly would ask us to sing a song maybe. And then yeah. he would talk to the ladies and pray for them and, and they would have some conversation about a Bible story. And and we would just kind of like sit there and, and smell the cat piss and just wait to go. And that was our lives for those first few days. Yeah. Just like the mayonnaise and the sardines and the cat piss and uh, listening to old Babushki pray with Vitaly. I mean, those those first few weeks definitely were an impression on me. And I know they were an impression on Murph. He had a, the roughest time out of all of us. He was the youngest, fresh out of high school for maybe a year. That just put him on a spiral. And he left a little bit earlier than we did. But uh, when he was there, going back to the uh, sandwiches things, we had one real bed in our apartment. And we joked about sharing that bed <laughs> together, all three of us in there. And we and we called it uh, a Dave sandwich. Yeah, on, on Murph, and, Murph and Grant bread, the Dave sandwich. And I think we even we even said like, oh, we should we should make a website to uh, raise support for our missionary work out here. Do you remember remember that? <laughs> yeah, DaveSandwich.com. Yeah, www.DaveSandwich.com. That was going to be our website. Yeah, that was great. But then but then Murph left, ruined it all, and then we had to change it to the Russian version. Yeah, then it's the DaveButzirbrod.com or .ru. Yeah, DaveButzirbrod. Because there's just one piece of bread left for this Dave sandwich. But thing, things were rough. Things were tough during that time. You know, we didn't actually share a bed, but sometimes it felt like we were sharing a bed. It was just the three of us always together, not being able to communicate with anyone else, and just sitting through some of these tougher situations that we weren't equipped to deal with or handle. And none of us, like you said, none of us could really protest. We, You know, we were... Or none of us could really say anything or like suggest maybe doing something else. First of all, we were the guests of this church that we were a part of. Vitaly was one of the leaders, as you said, kind of babysitting us. We were their guests. We were guests in these people's homes. And we, we just didn't have the vocabulary or the ability to change the topic or, or suggest other ideas. Yeah, I remember we would go to the all these church meetings and prayer meetings with Vitaly and and I spoke enough Russian to kind of get up and say some words and say thank you for having us and uh, yeah. give some kind of church testimony. But I was always I had my big dictionary in the back pocket of my pants all the time, and I would just I'd always had to look up words in that dictionary. I remember one time in in a church meeting when we were with Vitali, he was he preached this long sermon. It was like like fifty minutes, and I just zoned out after a while, like I couldn't even follow it. But then he started talking about how the Bible is our shield to defend us against the enemy. 
but the Russian word for shield is shit. And so we're all listening to him, and all of a sudden, all three of us, our ears perk up, and we look, because we just hear this this Baptist pastor. He's saying shit. Дело в том, что Библия это shit. Это наш shit. Тебе нужен shit. David, у тебя есть shit. У меня есть shit. У тебя? That's funny. And we were like, what? What is this sheet he's talking about? So I had to look it up in my dictionary. Speaking of the dictionary, you were kind of our dictionary. Murph and I had a lot less skills than you. So oftentimes you would be leaning over and, and trying to translate what was going on and, you know, maybe only getting half of it or a quarter or just a few words here and there and, and trying to help us understand. I remember uh, one time in church, a woman stood up at the front and uh she was kind of the classic babushka type woman. She had a a shawl over her hair. She was she was a little bit larger, had, you know, four or five moles on her face. Um she looked to us like what we would think of as like a witch. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Yeah, she she looked like a witch. She started talking uh she started talking in the church and uh you leaned over to Murph and I and you start translating and uh, share with us, share with us what you were translating because we nearly lost it there, right in the middle of church. It was just exactly what we needed well, at that moment. Well, even to like to back up a little, you remember you saw that lady earlier that week. You saw her in the market, and she was selling sunflower seeds in the market. Yeah, but they were in a, a cone of newspapers, so you didn't know they were sunflower seeds. They look. It looked like she was selling beans, and uh, and and I kind of looked at her. Because she, she looked familiar and she probably said something to us. She probably recognized us and looked at her and kind of with a strange expression on my face. And um, and she's selling these beans, which in my head, I saw this a witch selling magic beans <laughs> to these doe-eyed American guys coming around. And, and I'm thinking like, oh, man, I feel like I'm in some kind of fairy tale. Uh, I better stay away from these magic beans. Well, I think she probably... You might not have even recognized her from the church, but she recognized you guys. Cause, yeah. Because we all stuck out like sore thumbs. We had the weird clothes and American haircuts. Yeah. And so she probably smiled at you. Yeah. Which was like, this this witch just smiled at me and she's trying to sell me magic beans. And that was the story <laughs> you and Murph told me when you came home that day. Yeah. You're like, dude, this witch in the market, she was, she was trying to sell us <laughs> magic beans. And yeah. she looked at me. And so then this, this same lady, it turns out she was from the Baptist church. And so she got up and you and Murph were like, that's, that's the lady selling the magic beans. That's the one. And so I was, then I start translating quote unquote when she was, I think she was just giving a testimony of like God helped her out in her life, something like that. And she was talking in front of the church. And so I leaned over to you and I said, okay, so now she's saying, I would like to invite all the children in the neighborhood to my house in the woods. It is made of delicious gingerbread <laughs> with all kinds of sweets inside. <laughs> Oh man! And we're sitting there trying to be uh, serious in church, and uh, this was how we coped. We just we just goofed off all the time. You know, we made up stories about people, and uh, and your your uh, translation interpretation that that morning was just it almost put us over the edge. Um, we would we came up with like nicknames nicknames for people too, didn't we? Yeah, we we had all these goofy inside jokes. And so we had to make up nicknames for the church people so we could talk about them. Yeah. Because a, a lot of people a lot of people knew some English. The pastor, Misha, he had a basic idea of English. And, yeah. And so 
I think his was the most cruel nickname. Yeah, I think because so. Because he, the past, Pastor Misha, and he was cool to us, but he had this, his thumb, um, I can't remember how he lost it, but like half of his thumb was missing mm-hmm. in some kind of, I think, a construction accident he, or a saw. He, he lost a part of his thumb. And so he was nub. Yeah, nub. We were helping him uh, build some toilets for a camp that we were doing, and we had a big circular saw, and we were going with it, and he looked over at me and looked me in the eye, and he said, Astorozhna, and then he gave me a thumbs up, but nothing was there. <laughs> and Astorozhna means, like, be careful, right, or danger. Yeah, or Be careful, right. Be careful. Astorozhna, yeah, be careful. So he, at least he had some humor about that, but uh, I, don't, I don't think he ever heard us call him Nub. But that was his nickname. Yeah, we had they had to be far enough removed from the person's actual name. Yeah, and in like and a, something that they wouldn't naturally associate, and like a, an obscure enough English word like nub that, you know, a beginner English student would not recognize. And so Oksana's was hers was really creative. Yeah, because uh, I I thought she was really cute. I kind of had a crush on her uh-huh. that first couple months. She was a, one of the young girls in the church. Um, she was then part of our leadership team. Um, really helped out a lot. And so Oksana, I thought she was really cute. And so I would talk to you and Murph and say, man, Oksana's a babe. And so then I would, I, I made some joke about babe, the blue ox, about about Paul Bunyan's big blue ox. Yeah. With but her. then we were like, like we can't say babe because a lot of people will know the word babe and ox is just short for Oksana. So then we started calling her blue for a while. Yeah. But then we realized she wore a lot of blue clothing, so she might catch on to that, too. So yeah. we turned it into Spanish then, and we just called her Azul for a while. Azul. We had to get that many degrees. Yeah. That degrees removed from the from the real thing. We had a good friend who uh, played drums at the church, and so I got to know him really well. His name was Sergey. Really sweet guy. I really He, he really uh, looked out for us and, and, and spent a lot of time helping us acclimate. But... um. He, he had this horrible stutter and uh, his name, his name was Sergei Maslovich or Maslov. That was his last name, Mas- I guess. Yeah. Mas- Maslov. Maslov. Yeah. The last name was Maslov. Which is really close to the Russian word for butter, which is Maslo, <laughs> right? Yeah. Maslo without, just without the, the V at the Without end. the V. Maslo. So we put together and rhymed stutter with butter. And, uh, and so we, we, st- <laughs> we sometimes called him butter. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't stick with that cause that was a little bit cruel, but, uh, like I said, he was one of our good friends, but that was the way we were coping. Um, we, we had to find ways to stay sane. Uh, like I said before, we just weren't equipped to deal with such culture shock. So, um, with the things that we came up with, the, the ways that we talked about our friends and people around us and also the, the ways that we ate, um, I craved, Murph and I specifically, craved American food and junk food. Um, we found a little kiosk that sold Snickers and Coca-Cola, and it felt like every day we were going by there and buying a Snickers and buying a Coke uh, just to get some kind of sense of normalcy for us. But you went the, you went the other direction, didn't you? Yeah, I, I went the opposite extreme. Like, after... A month or two, I just decided, I was like, you know what? I've got to immerse myself in this. Uh-huh. I'm going to be here for a while. I've got to get used to it. 
And so I just, I went full native with all my snack food. Yeah. And I was just going to buy the weirdest, weirdest stuff I could find. <laughs> and all the stuff that we would see, I was like, all that weird stuff, I'm going for it. Yeah. And so I would buy like the cones of sun, sunflower seeds that we thought were magic beans. Yeah. I would bring those back to the house and just sit in the kitchen eating sunflower seeds and not, not drinking beer at the time. We were being really, behaving really well because we're working with these fundamentalist Baptists. So yeah. I didn't have any beer with it. I'd just sit there drinking like corpse water out of the tap and eating <laughs> sunflower seeds in the dark kitchen. Well, and there <laughs> that was, was my my me time. There was a, a drink, a Russian drink that you got really into. I, I never really dug it, but you loved kvass, didn't you? Oh, I still love kvass. Oh, that was my happy time. Kvass. That was one of the, that was one of the things that I was into from from day one. Yeah. Uh, so kvass is this. It's a lightly fermented drink, but it's not really alcoholic. Like oh. it might have 0.02% alcohol or something. Yeah. But it's a barely fermented, like a bread drink made with rye and and bread and raisins a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, it, it's like, a, it looks like a dark brown beer, like a Newcastle. And they sell it everywhere in the spring and summertime, in the warmer months. Yeah. Like all over the streets, you'll find these huge... Just enormous, like ye- painted yellow oil tankers, and there'll be old ladies with a, a nozzle on the tanker, and people just come up and she'll serve you a plastic cup of kvass, or a lot of people will bring their own bottles. They'll bring plastic bottles and she'll fill them up with the kvass drink. But yeah. it's just it tastes like it tastes yeasty. It's got that bread taste like beer. I I think part of it was we. We weren't allowed to drink beer at all because we're working with the Baptists. And we had to behave. And and so I would drink kvass. And I think I got a little, like, contact buzz. Like, it was kind <laughs> of a placebo effect because it tasted enough like beer yeah. that I convinced myself I was having a beer. And it was carbonated. It's fizzy. And that would just put me in a good mood just on a hot day because it does get hot. I don't, have we mentioned that it gets hot in Russia? Some people not might not know that it actually gets hot in the summertime in Russia. Yeah, in one of our sports shorts, we talked about uh, how hot it can get. Uh, and that that we were talking about the Winter Olympics in Sochi. But where we lived was kind of close there. We were in the south. And yeah, you're right. It was hot and muggy and there's no air conditioning. So you just and – and cars are driving by and you're getting like exhaust fumes. And so it can be really oppressive, the heat. So getting a – having some kind of a nice cold drink really does it for you. And, and that, that one did it for you, right, Dave? Oh, that did it for me. Yeah, just like the, the fizzy, it was refreshing, and the, the huge metal oil tanker would keep it cool. So it would always be cold, no matter how hot it was outside. And it was like the one drink you knew you could get cold any anywhere in the city. Yeah. You and Murph had a uh, drinking contest of kvass, right? I remember you came home once with like six liters <laughs> of kvass in different <laughs> bottles and uh you guys tried to see who could drink the most i'm pretty sure you won yeah i won i'm I'm gonna win if it's gluttony i'm always gonna win there was a time we had a time frame on it so like whoever could drink the most in a minute or something and you just pounded it down um but then at the end of it after you won you ran to the bathroom and you had to puke <laughs> So you're puking in the bathroom yeah. and, and we came in after you with the camera and we <laughs> kicked you in the nuts, kind of like the Jackass movie. And uh, that, that was another way of us coping was just doing kind of Jackass style type things to each other. Yeah. Just doing stupid, like stupid American stuff like that. Like, yeah. like who's, nobody in Russia is going to come up with the idea to have a Kvass drinking contest because, because <laughs> why would you? Yeah. that's It's only us who are these bored 
sensory-deprived Americans yeah. were like, yeah, we'll get six liters of kvass and see how much of it we can pound in a minute. Yeah. And then and then I'm going to go puke it up, and Grant will come kick me in the nuts while I'm puking, while I'm in my moment of pain. <laughs> what, uh, what did you miss the most food-wise uh, when we first moved there? Dude, I missed spicy things. Like I've, you know, grew up in California my whole life um, and have lived a, a great deal of my life in Mexico. So I missed Mexican food like crazy. Yeah. And of course, you're never going to find anything like Mexican food in, in Russia. Not where we were, at least. Yeah, not in the not in the place we were. And uh, and I missed anything with with like a kick to it. Yeah. I missed spicy things, man. I like food has to to cause me pain for me to really enjoy it. <laughs> it's it's got to be like if it's. Not hurting me. I'm not even tasting it. And Russian food, Russian food had like it, no spice. There, like, there was no, no kind of like chill. They didn't use chilies very much in in the Russian cuisine that we got, at least from the beginning. Yeah, it was like you were lucky if you could find black pepper anywhere on the mm-hmm. table. And a lot of that is, as I've discovered later, is because in Russia, the idea is to enjoy the natural flavor of the food itself, of mm. the vegetable or the fruit or, or the bread and. And and this is how a lot of Russian folks that I've known have have described it. They're like the idea is that food has to taste like itself. Huh. Like you want to you want a cucumber to taste like a cucumber. You don't want to mask it. Yeah. Then most Russians when they move to the states, the first thing that freaks them out is these giant monster cucumbers that have no flavor. And strawberries the same. These huge strawberries, but they don't. They're like sawdust. They don't have flavor on their own. And so so the Russian approach is. Have it in its most natural state so you can taste that food's natural flavor. And I just, I want to put something on it to make it taste like <laughs> like spice, like other stuff. And so, yeah, that first month, everything seemed really bland to me. I was, I was just not enjoying it. And then my parents mailed me a little package. And it would cost a lot of money to mail any, even the tiniest things. So this package, it had a tiny little bottle of Tabasco sauce. You remember mm. that little thing? Yeah. It was like two centimeters tall, and I would just dole it out drop by drop on my food. It was I felt like a heroin addict, and he's just <laughs> got that one last vial of his drug, and you just got to take it a little bit at a time because when it's gone. But then a, a couple of months later, they mailed me this huge-ass bottle of Tabasco. Yeah. And so then I went on this Tabasco bender, and I I totally blew out my cornhole the yeah. next day. Yeah, I remember just... we, made, we made some uh, hot wings out of some chicken nuggets or chicken pieces we had with and we did that with butter and that was so good that hit the spot you know i was i uh oh yeah i missed i missed a lot of junk food greasy fatty salty fast food man that was something that like you just couldn't get where we lived um there were no rest western restaurants in our town in saratov and not even that there was just no fast foods no mcdonald's no pizza hut no taco bell Nothing like that. The one right. place we did have uh, was Royal Burger, and that was kind of a Russian version of McDonald's. People said, oh, you like McDonald's? Uh, you should go over to this place. They have burgers exactly like McDonald's. Told to us by people who had, had never been to a McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> but they would say, oh, it's ex- it's exactly like McDonald's. You're going to love it. You'll feel right at home there. So we go and we, you know, we order uh, a couple of those each, and it was... It was a disappointment, to say the least. At least that first bite, that first trip there was a disappointment. Well, especially because we're, we're watered up for something that's going to be like, like an American fast food burger. So Ex- we're ready for it. Exactly. For it. They played it up way too much in our minds, 
And we dreamed about it for weeks until we could figure out how to get over there. And when we got there, it, it just brought us down. But uh, but we, we kept going there. That was kind of our one spot to get kind of Western-style burgers. And, and eventually, we kind of liked them. The, the ketchup they had was kind of a curry ketchup, and that put me off to begin with. But I love curry ketchup now. And But we could get Coke there with an ice, air conditioning. It, that, was, that did become kind of one of our spots. Yeah, it was our refuge. We'd sit, we'd watch Russian MTV. They had the TV TVs on inside, and they had they even had like a jungle gym area. And sometimes kids from families that had more money, they would rent out that whole jungle gym area and have their kids' parties in there. Yeah, I remember there were these. There was like a group of fifty kids, and they had a they. It was a huge lavish party. They hired a DJ. They had like party hats and favors. <laughs> <laughs> the DJ was playing that. That American song that was, y'all will make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. <laughs> and and it was the most surreal thing. All these like 50 little Russian boys running around in a circle and all of them are shouting, up in here, up in here, up in here. <laughs> <laughs> they were into it. Eventually, we uh, we went up to Moscow. Every three months, we had to leave the country to renew our visas. So we'd always go through Moscow and then go somewhere f- from there. And... uh I, when we got to Moscow, we were able to finally get some McDonald's, and that that was uh, that was a glorious time. I think we went from Moscow to Saint Petersburg, and then to um, Tallinn, Estonia. And man, we we must have right. eaten hamburgers. We must have eaten McDonald's hamburgers every day while we were there. Oh, at least once a day. Like yeah. when we got to, we took the train from. It was always the night train because it was like like almost a twelve hour trip. Uh huh. Um, I think. I've, from a thousand Saratov kilometers. I looked it up on a map from Saratov to Moscow. And so we took the train to Moscow. And as soon as we got to Moscow, like we went and we like we camped out. We waited in front of the McDonald's for them to open like a Black Friday people. And we went and we just ordered the <laughs> whole menu. Like every one of us got like like two Big Macs and nuggets and like a bunch of other burgers and all, all this other crap we didn't need. French fries everything. Yeah, we just went buck wild. When we came back from Estonia, I remember stocking up and I think I bought like a dozen cheeseburgers and kept them in a bag. <laughs> Take I it took it on the train. That. You did. You and, got uh, contraband cheeseburgers back to Saratov. Yeah, and and I think I mean, I don't think they lasted very long. They lasted longer than than nor- normally my McDonald's lasts, but uh, I think I had cheeseburgers for the next 2 days. So again, those were the ways that we coped. Yeah, I got fat on that trip to Estonia. I, I supersized myself. <laughs> I, I looked notably fatter after just a week there eating McDonald's. You know, ultimately, though, we uh, we we kind of got over some of the discomfort of trying new things and and different tastes. And, and eventually we learned to love Russian food. We I think we said at the beginning, like nowadays, that's something that I crave. I know you crave. We we've we've had some good times in L.A. and other places, San Diego, finding uh authentic Russian food. Eventually we learned to love the spices that they did use and the flavors of those natural ingredients. And we discovered like we, we might not have had McDonald's or Burger King, but we had stuff that was, that turned out to be 10 times better than that in yeah. Angles and in Saratov, which yeah. was the Russian fast food, the street food that yeah. they had there. I think in every culture, uh, street food exemplifies the best of the culture and the best of the multicultural aspect of that area. And it wasn't any different in Saratov. We had some great street food that we eventually found. 
Yeah, what were some of the some of your favorite street foods that we discovered after after a couple months? Yeah, I remember um, taking the bus into town, and we would go by this little shack, and there there was a guy standing out front of it with a little barbecue. And Murph and I looked at that. I think we were on our way even to Royal Burgers, and we looked at that, and we we're like, "Man, that that that's interesting. Is this a is this a little restaurant? Is this a little store? Let's get off here, and let's see if we can get some food." And I think that was our first time that we had shashlik, which is a uh, kind of oh, a shashlik. kebab kind of a food. It's it's usually like a marinated lamb or beef, sometimes chicken or pork. And um, it's marinated and then grilled over a flame. And uh, we would get these at this little stop. And it was like nothing. We paid nothing for it. And they'd give us this little piece of cardboard. It wasn't even a paper plate. It was a piece of cardboard. And uh, they'd put right. the put the shashlik on there, and they'd they'd dice up some white onions next to it, and give us some curry ketchup. And when we got that, I mean, Royal Burger just kind of went out of our mind. We didn't care about Royal Burger anymore. <laughs> so shashlik was one of my favorites. Um, shawarma, that was something that I learned to love in Russia. And we discovered there was a shawarma place just down the street from our house in Engels too. We we found on the corner. Remember right at the end of the street where yeah, where the bus would turn to the right. Yeah. I think shawarma has kind of become popular here in the West a little bit more recently since we lived there. Um I've seen it pop up, you know, in places or and even one of the Avengers movies there that that one of the end credit scenes all the Avengers are sitting around eating shawarma in a store that's been destroyed by really? a battle. Yeah. <laughs> no way. They have shawarma. They do, yeah. But I've never I've never found uh, a shawarma that can beat the one that we had there on our corner in Saratov. It was so good. Yeah, it was. So for folks who don't know, it's um, in English, a lot of times they spell it shawarma with a W. Uh, in Russian, it's written shawarma. And it's so it's like there's a spit with meat grilling on it. Uh-huh. Which is similar to the the trompa for this the spit that you cook uh, pastor meat on in in Mexican food, uh-huh. and it uh, it comes from the Middle East actually, and it's also similar to the donor kebabs they have in Turkey and Germany. Yeah, and so there's this spit rotating. They're grilling the meat, and then the dude just carves off these thin little slices of this marinated, delicious spiced meat, and then he'll carve it into either like a a roll. I always liked the roll kind myself. It was like this really just this crispy, light, fluffy roll mm-hmm. and carve it in there. And then he would put in some fresh vegetables and garchitsa with the spicy mustard, which you didn't like that, did you? You're, you'd always get biz garchitsa. Yeah, at that point, I, I didn't have that that palate for the spicy kind of brown mustard. So I would just go without that. But even so, it was still delicious. Yeah, you could get it in the, the bread pocket. Or you could get it in a burrito style with the lavash, which is almost like a, a big tortilla. So a flat, a flat bread. bread. Yeah. And they would just load it all up there, sometimes put some mayonnaise in there, mm-hmm. and, and wrap it up like a burrito. And, oh, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Another good one that I really liked, and I think you even liked them more than I did, was the pierogis. Yeah, the, the piroshki. The, piroshki. Um, in the market, I would get those all the time because you could find them anywhere. And there would be always be an old woman with like an insulated box thing, and she would have them all pre-made. And I would get them with cabbage because that was how my grandma made them. Yeah. Which yeah, she brought the recipe from Russia. She would make them with cabbage and and ground beef. Mm-hmm. And we called them uh, kraut burgers in our family. 
because kraut is German for cabbage. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the, the Volga Germans who moved to the U.S. and Canada, uh, they kept that tradition alive, and, and they make some people call them roncets, some call them krautburgers, uh, or just pireshki. But it's it's a big part of like Russian street food, Russian cuisine. And they make them with all kinds of different fillings too, right? Like you remember we had mushroom ones or they mm-hmm. even had fish fillings. My uh that my my father-in-law uh who lived in Russia, my wife and her family, her parents became missionaries in Russia and lived there for um I think her parents were there maybe for 8 years. Lindsay was there for 6 years from middle school to high school. But my father-in-law Frank uh, was telling me a story when we were reminiscing about Russian food. He had a place on his corner where he could go get these piroshki, and uh, he was just learning the language, kind of like how we were doing and, and messing things up here and there. But he would go and he would ask for uh, piroshki with mushrooms. Um, and so he, he I, I'm, I'm imagining in the way that we would do, before I would go out, I would sit with my dictionary and I would look through and find all the words that I knew that I was going to use that day. If I was going to go buy a piroshki with mushrooms, I would look through my dictionary and find out what was the word for mushroom. So that way I didn't have to do it on the street. But uh, he goes right. and, he, and he asks for piroshki with mushrooms. They hand him one and he, he pays for it and walks away and bites into it. And there's, it's fish. It wasn't the mushroom one. And then his first thought was like, well, maybe they grabbed the wrong one and you know, no problem. I'll, I'll just eat it. So he ate it, and then and the next time he went, he did the same thing. He asked for mushroom, and he they give him one, and he bites in, and it's fish. And he's wondering, like, what's going on? Why do they keep giving me a fish, <laughs> a fish filled piroshki what? when I'm asking for mushrooms? Like, don't what's they this conspiracy? Why? What do they have against me? Exactly. But um, but then but then he uh, he realized as he started to learn the language a little bit more, he he was actually asking for a fish piroshki or at least with his accent, what they heard was him asking for fish. And, um, I know you've heard this story before Dave, and you've talked about like what the difference is and what happened in that interaction. Uh, explain to us here, like, uh, some of this Russian language and, and how, how it's so close and you can get one thing if you ask for the other. Yeah, so there's there's a really logical explanation for why they gave him fish, and it goes into the insanely complicated Russian grammar. Mm-hmm. So the word, the basic word for fish is riba, riba with an a at the end. The word for mushrooms is gribi. Yeah, so they already sound kind of similar. Yeah, but they get really different once you apply the grammar, and it's called declining a word. The declension of a word is when that word you know mutates depending on which part of the sentence it's in, what its grammatical function is, and so if you want to ask for something with something else, the instant you say with, you have to use this other declension. It's another grammatical case that changes the word a lot. Yeah. And so riba with an A turns into riboy with an O-I at the end. So if you wanted to say with fish, you would say sribai, and s is the word for with. But if you wanted with mushrooms, all of a sudden that plural word gribi turns into gribami. So if you want with mushrooms, you have to say sgribami. And so if I'm Russian and I hear this gringo come up and he says 
and what I think he was doing, I think he didn't decline the word gribi, and so he just said sgribi, which if I hear that, I hear s, and I hear ribi, and I hear him saying with fish. Yeah. So it sounds much more like he's saying with fish than with mushrooms. And so they were given the wrong thing. Yeah, they've got that right there, right next to the mushrooms. And so obviously, oh, that's what he wants. I'm going to give that to him. He ended up uh, getting a lot of fish. <laughs> Pierogi. <laughs> you know, uh, thinking about a lot of these foods that we liked, it makes me think of the culture of Russia. We were becoming accustomed to a different culture. Instead of us craving McDonald's or craving spicy tacos like you probably were there, Dave, we began to crave some of these flavors that we were getting in our everyday lives. And a lot of these flavors came from all different parts of the world. Russia is extremely multicultural. A lot of the foods that we had and a lot of the tastes and the flavors we had were Georgian or Turkish. So some of these uh, flavors that we were tasting weren't necessarily Russian, but the way that Russia integrated these cultures kind of into at least their food was really was really prominent. Yeah, the history of Russian food, it's the history of how a huge country like that incorporates all these other cultures into it. Yeah. And you're right, Russia is extremely culturally diverse. Even just in Saratov, the city across the river from Angles where you and I lived, yeah. Saratov itself has 111 ethnicities in it. Wow. That was, that's the number everyone would throw out. Yeah. And they would actually give that as an explanation for why Saratov women were particularly beautiful, <laughs> because it was this cool mix of all these different ethnicities. Yeah. But it, Russia is a country. It's incorporated all these cultures and the food of them. And, and so all the foods that, that you would think of as a typical... Russian food, traditional Russian food, a lot of them come from other cultures or cultures that were in the Soviet Union or cultures that used to be part of the greater Russian Empire, you know, Poland and Ukraine. Uh, Borsh Borsh is actually originally from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you remember uh, Pyotr Nikolaevich, his wife, she made the best Borsh that I've ever had in my life, I think. And they were from Ukraine. Wow. That makes me salivate right now just thinking of her Borsh that... That she made for us. Oh, we would. He would. He was a pastor we knew in Saratov. He would have us over to his house, and his wife would make us this borscht. She would make these chiburieki, which were these flat fried dumplings with mm. spicy ground beef inside, and and those are from uh, Mongolia, I think, in the Tartar culture in Mongolia. Yeah. And so there's that that diversity there in the cuisine. Pelmeni, which is the boiled dumplings, those are from from Asia and from the Asian part of Russia, Siberia. I have a friend, uh, when I was living in Sweden, she was Latvian. I don't know, remember how we kind of came across this, but I think I may have, she knew that we lived in Russia and, and I said something about Olivier salad, uh, salad Olivier. And, uh, so she decided to make it for me. And, and then she ended up making some kind of traditional, food for me. And I remember having a guest over and saying, oh, this is some some of the best authentic Russian food I've ever had. And she said, it is not Russian, it's Latvian. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But uh, the way that Russia assimilated, you know, through the Soviet Union or through some of the trade routes, uh, you know, back in the day, it assimilated some of these flavors and some of these foods, which we now have grown to love and we seek it out. Uh, last week, I took Lindsay to a little Russian cafe that we found here in Reno. It was delicious. We had some piroshki and some palmeni. Um, there's a couple I saw places. your pictures from there. That uh, 
looks legit. That place looks like it, the real deal. It is legit. And uh, there's a couple places you and I would go to, but but these are flavors that now we crave and flavors that now, you know, we just can't get enough. And and we oftentimes share these with our friends and and help some of our friends who may have not traveled to these places enjoy some of these flavors as well. Yeah, I it's amazing to think back on this time when I thought I was sick of food in Russia or I thought I didn't even like it because now it's something that I, that I crave. There's a restaurant here in Mexico City, Golobok, and there are a couple other small Russian restaurants. And in fact, I'm going to go to one right now as soon as we finish recording. There's one <laughs> like a, a mile from my house. I'm going to go to. I'm going to get some borscht after this. Cause it's, and they're all Russian-owned, too. It's Russian immigrants to Mexico. And it's just it's the taste of familiarity now. It's, it's yeah. nostalgia. Like, Russia really became part of who we are. And yes. the food is part of that. Well, Dave, let's wrap things up here. And uh, I know you promised at the beginning of this episode to give us a recipe for one of the salads that we grew to love. Can you walk us through that and walk our listeners through how they can make this at home? Yeah. So this is, you and I both, we make this all the time at our, at our homes and it's really easy to make. It'll take me like 30 seconds to tell you how to make, this is a Russian cabbage salad. Uh, A lot of Americans call it Russian coleslaw. So this is all it is. This is all you have to do. It's incredibly refreshing. It's a great side to go along with a savory dish. Mm-hmm. So you take a head of cabbage, wash it, and you finely dice it. Dice the whole head of cabbage up as fine as you can, really tiny pieces, and you put that in a big bowl. And then you take a cucumber. Ideally, if you can get a, a pickling cucumber to be more similar to the Russian-style natural cucumbers. Mm-hmm. But if you want to use one of the big, giant, mutant American cucumbers, that's fine, too. <laughs> And so it'll still taste good. So you dice that up, too, into little tiny squares, put that in the bowl, and then you salt that. Make sure not to put too much salt on it, but mix it up, salt it, and as you're salting it, squeeze it to release the natural flavors and get the salt into the the fabric of the cabbage. That point is key. Squeeze it. Use your use your hands, use your fingers to just squeeze the whole the whole thing all together. Yeah, yeah. No, you can't use a mixing spoon and be all germaphobic. No, wash your hands and get your hands in there and yeah. squeeze it. And then after that, sprinkle some dill, dill weed. You can buy dill weed in the spice rack. And sprinkle dill weed in there and then put in a couple spoonfuls of mayonnaise and mix it all up with your hands. And get the dill weed and mayonnaise evenly mixed with everything. And that's it. And then you've got the Russian cabbage salad. And it's so simple and it's so good. It's очень вкусно. Очень вкусно, ребята. Нифига себе. <laughs> so uh so I hope you all enjoy that. Приятного аппетита. <laughs> enjoy enjoy that salad. We're really glad that you all uh joined us uh for this episode. Thank you for signing in and listening to this whole thing with us. We hope that you're enjoying it as much as we are. Uh we hope that you'll enjoy this salad that you get to make. I want to remind all of you, uh, we appreciate the reviews that you have for us. So uh, if you'd be as so kind to write a review for us on whatever podcast app you use, that would be great. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, TRWL Podcast, or Facebook, TRWL Podcast. We even just uh, launched our Instagram page, TRWL underscore podcast. So if you want to see some of those pictures from the Russian cafe that I was at and uh, hopefully, Dave, if you actually do go out and get some Russian food today, you can post us some pictures and make us all feel jealous for that. Oh, I will. I'll take I'll take selfies with my food just like a 12-year-old girl. I'm totally going to do it. 
follow us, uh, interact with us. If you have any questions about anything we've said or any comments, um, if you have any ideas about what you want to hear about Russia and the culture and the people or the history, let us know. Uh, you can also email us at trwlpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thanks for joining us. Uh, next time, we, uh, we're going to be talking about some of the vices that we personally had in Russia and some of the Russian vices. So uh, you'll want to check in for that. Watch out for that in the next couple of weeks. But uh, thanks, for, thanks for listening. Have a good one until then. Спасибо большое. Субтитры